My name is Jamie Ingram. It's my privilege to get to be with you here today. I am the worship and missions pastor here at the church. And I did want to just give a shout out to all the fathers that are here today. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for leading your families in the Lord. We appreciate that so much. Uh, I was thinking back on my journey with my own dad. Some of you may know him. Uh, if you've seen Pastor Steve around, that is uh, my dad. And uh, so, yes, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, if you don't know the lingo, we call that a PK. Uh, and, you know, people look at a pastor's kid and they kind of have this, you know, perspective on it. It's like, oh, you know, it must be so tough to be a pastor's kid. And they think about, uh, you know, living in the fishbowl, the church is kind of watching you. And when you're not perfect, they kind of see that and, you know, that could be an issue. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, yes, it was sometimes a little bit challenging going to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, every Sunday growing up. Yeah, sure, I'll give you that. But I think if we're being honest, it's probably harder to be the parent of a PK than to be a PK. I was thinking back on the years and all of the uh, opportunities I had to embarrass my parents in front of the whole church growing up, and uh, there's quite a few of those. Some of you that are here and know me, you probably could think of your own embarrassing things that I've done, but I was thinking back, I was five years old, and uh, we were at a church, and they had a children's choir, and if you've ever been a part of a children's choir, just being honest with you, occasionally practice can get a little bit mundane, a little boring. And so we're in there, we're singing our songs about Jesus, and I look over, my friends decided, hey, you know, I'm just going to pull out my air drums, and he's going, and he's getting the groove, and I'm like, well, that's cool. I want to be a part of the air band. I'll get the air guitar out, you know, foreshadowing my future career. And I'm playing along to all the songs, and we, you know, the air flute. Everybody's got their own instrument. We're having such a great time. It's just one problem. When it came time for the performance in front of the whole church, everybody got stage fright. They're standing up there. They're just singing the songs. Nobody remembered to bring their air instrument well, I'm the pastor's kid. I'm very comfortable on the stage. No big deal for me. So I pull out the air guitar. I start playing. And I'm hearing the laughter from the crowd. I'm like, this is great. I'm getting into it. I get the drums out, right? I'm doing all this stuff. I'm not sure I've ever embarrassed my mom more than I did that night when I got home. A few years later, we were at Desert Springs, and uh, my dad would get up every weekend to preach, and my friends and I had this game that we would play, and I want to be careful telling this story, I don't want any of our security guards to uh, you know, have a heart attack, but we would play this game as kids where we'd start in the back row of the church, and we would zigzag across the auditorium during the pastor's message. And so if you can imagine, Pastor Steve's up here doing his thing, he's preaching, he's giving the Word of God, and you just hear giggling and running in the background. That was me. And I'm going across all the places, and the, the, the real goal of the game was, how long could I do this before Pastor Steve, in front of the entire church, has to call me out so I stop? I'm glad that he let me live. Uh, I had a lot of opportunities to embarrass my parents, but the truth is, I'm very thankful for my parents because I also had a lot of opportunities to see their faith journey. You know, 
you guys come, you see Pastor Steve up here, you see uh, my mom, Tammy, you see them, they're wonderful people, but I got to sit in the car on the way home from church and hear them decompress about the day, talk about the things that they're trusting the Lord for, talk about the areas that they're, you know, hey, how's God going to provide for this? We're going to have to trust Him, we're going to have to have faith, we're going to have to look to God to answer this one. I got to be that little kid hiding behind the banister on the stairs when families would come over to our house, always after hours, and their lights blowing up and my parents would minister to them and love on them and open God's word with them. I got to be witness to my parents' faith journey, and a lot of that includes what happened at Desert Springs. I love getting to hear Pastor Steve talk about the story of God's faithfulness to our church because I lived a lot of those things. I was here in 1997 when Desert Springs is $10,000 in the red and we're going to close the doors and all that you see today is not going to exist. And then that first check for $5,000 came. And I knew the people that were getting in that office that were getting down on their knees praying and asking the Lord to provide. And I was there Years later, after the Lord had provided this, when he made a way that we could purchase that piece of property in front of our building in Glendale, and we all thought, and I remember those conversations in the car, this was going to be such a huge deal for Desert Springs, that God was going to use this uh, in in an amazing way at that property in that location. And I was there for the disappointment when it didn't work out, and when thing after thing after thing went wrong with that piece of land. God eventually was going to use that to bring us to Litchfield Park, but we didn't know it at that moment. That was going to be a part of that journey. I got to watch my parents' faith journey. Through it all, I had a front row seat to their journey of faith. And you know, you don't have to be around very long to know that this life is not everything great and always happening and being perfect and amazing, and I wish I could tell you it was. I wish when we accepted Christ that everything would just go amazing for us. Or maybe there's like one really hard thing and then the rest of it's great. But the truth is, is that life is a series of seasons. Some are good. Some are really tough. And as we walk through those seasons as believers, we can have hope because we have God. And we can trust Him that He's going to be faithful as we walk through those seasons. This morning, I want to talk to you about another faith journey, and that's the faith journey of Abraham and Sarah. Two people who believed God and walked in faith, who now encourage and witness to us to walk by faith with the one who's faithful. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be starting in verse 8. While you're turning there, Hebrews is at the end. Stick your thumb in the beginning, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be bouncing back quite a bit through Hebrews and Genesis as we tell the story. Now, as we read through our text today, I just have one request, if that's okay. Doing a lot of narratives this summer, stories of faith, all that stuff. My one request is that we don't think of this just as a story. It is a story, we're reading it, we're, we're getting insight and all that stuff. This is also somebody's life, though. And I think sometimes we forget that all these things that we can read and talk about in a few minutes, that they had to live over the course of years and years and years. And so as we're reading through this, as we're processing through it together, my encouragement to all of us is let's try to put ourselves in their shoes and think about how we can grow our faith in the Lord as well. Hebrews 11, 
We're going to start in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, as I was reading that this week, I began to think, okay, I just want to get a little bit more context. I want to understand this as fully as I can. Like, why was Abraham called? Why did he go? What, what's, what all's going on here? So, you got your finger in Genesis 12. Let's read that too. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. That's a promise. I'll bless you and I'll make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families, or Abram at this time, of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I'll give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God comes to Abraham and gives him a promise. He says, I'll bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And the land that I will show you, I am going to give you this land. Now what's interesting about these promises is the timing both in their being fulfilled and the timing of Abraham's response of faith. Think about it. God calls Abraham, so he went. He doesn't say, all right, God, you let me know when it's going to happen. I'll show up on that day. We'll put it on the calendar. No big deal. He gets his stuff. He gets his family, and he went. Only God's plan wasn't to give Abraham the land right when he gets there. Actually, Abraham wasn't going to see the fulfillment of this promise of God during his lifetime at all. In fact, Abraham was going to spend the rest of his life as a nomad, a wanderer, a stranger, and an alien living in a foreign land. And not just Abraham, but his sons and his sons and so on. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all sojourners in a strange land. A promised land, but a promise yet to be fulfilled. That'd be like if tomorrow God told me, hey, Jamie, you know, everything's going good. I hope you're doing well. It's me, God. Get Lydia. Get the kids. Tomorrow morning, you're going to load everybody up in the van. Now, little life update. We just got a dog. If you know anything about me, I don't like animals. I'm going to have to really pray if the dog's getting in this car with me, all right? Get in the van and head east. I'm going to show you where you need to go. I'm going to show you this land. There's just one thing I need you to understand, okay? I'm going to give it to you in my timing. You're just going to drive around in the van the rest of your life. Hope that's cool. Sign God, right? When I hear that, the first thing I start thinking about is all the reasons why not to. 
Uh, number one, God, you know I have four kids and it's a small little compartment, right? It's going to be quite loud, God. I don't know if I want to do that for the rest of my life. Secondly, if you know me at all, you know I'm not good at camping, God. This is not a good idea. I don't know if you've seen gas prices in the United States, but gas is not free. How is this going to work? What are you asking me to do, Lord? Sure, Abraham had a lot of reasons not to go, but he went. So Abraham and Sarah go, they trust God, they commit to a lifetime of living nomadically in different parts of Canaan and Egypt as sojourners. But don't forget, God didn't just promise Abraham and Sarah land, he also promised to make them a great nation. There's just one problem, Abraham and Sarah cannot conceive And so God steps into the picture to provide what he's promised. If you open back up to Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 11, it says, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. When God made his promise to make Abraham a great nation, Abraham is 75 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and go, seems like you may need to get started pretty quickly. His bride is in her 60s. Maybe we're a little bit past this. It would be kind of miraculous if God even did this right now. But God waits. And so over the next couple of chapters in Genesis, we begin to see the range of emotions and thinkings that Abraham and Sarah go through as they're waiting on God to come through. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord shows up to Abram in a vision and says, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now you would think for most of us, if God shows up and says that, that's a good day. But when I read Abraham's response, I kind of hear a little bit of snark, personally. He said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? God, you said you're going to make a great nation out of me. Right now, somebody that was born in my house is going to get everything I have. What are you talking about? God walks Abraham outside and says, look up at the stars. If you can even number them, and even if you can't, that's what your descendants are going to look like. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Scripture tells us that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Then in Genesis 16, we see Abraham and Sarah processing this lack of a child and they decide they're going to do it their own way. Enter, uh, enter uh, Hagar and, and Ishmael. They try to go and say, okay, God, you know what? You haven't done this. Maybe we'll just help you out. But God's plan was still to do what he had promised, how he had promised. In fact, God would wait until Abraham was 99 years old in Genesis chapter 17 to show up and tell him, guess what? You're going to be a papa. And I love Abraham's response. He just laughs. Seriously, God, now I'm 99 years old. I'm going to be 100 years old by the time this kid gets here. My bride is 90. Who's got the energy for that? 
I'm supposed to be changing diapers and running around after this kid. I'm 100 years old. Sarah's response was pretty similar. She laughs too. God calls her on it and then she denies it. But you got to imagine, for Sarah, there's probably a lot going into this. Literally in the passage in Genesis 18, when Sarah finds out, she says, After I become old, shall I have sexual delight? Shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. Like, are we even still doing this? And if we're still doing this and I get pregnant, this is like high risk of high risk pregnancies. How is this all going to come together? Well, what God has promised, he does. And he would give to Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac. Now, one thing I want to point out, and this is just total transparency on my part. I'm doing the study this week, and I'm trying to think back to the Genesis account, and I'm flipping through it, and I'm trying to read it. And my question just kind of came back like, what exactly is the faith that Sarah showed here, right? Like, I'm thinking back to Genesis 18. I'm like, I remember she laughed. I remember that God calls her on it. I remember that she denies it. Where exactly is the faith? And so I did what I asked you all to do. I started trying to put myself in her shoes. And what do I do when God asks me to do something big? And there's this range of emotions that goes on. When God comes to you and he says, hey, I've got something I want to do, and it seems impossible, but I'm God and I'm going to do it, trust me. A lot of times my first response is, really, God? You want me to do what now? You want me to go to this place and do this thing and trust you with that? Seriously? And, and, and of all the people you could have picked, you pick me? I have to do this? And you go through all these questions, and at a certain point, you kind of almost have to come back and go, okay, I've had my time of questioning. I've had my time of thinking about all this stuff. Now I have to choose. Do I have faith? Do I trust God? Or not. And I think the author of Hebrews tells us what Sarah's response was to that question. By faith, Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Why? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. For Sarah, the answer was to have faith. And God blessed her for that. And God blessed Abraham from that. From a human perspective, Abraham and Sarah had all the reasons in the world not to trust God. And yet, they did. The question becomes, why? I think the answer is not because Abraham and Sarah were unique or special. I, I just think it's simply because they chose, rather than living in this life with a human, worldly perspective, to live with a perspective of faith. Abraham and Sarah said, look, we are going to have faith in the one who is faithful. We are going to trust him and live our lives for his glory. It's kind of interesting when you're reading the narrative in Hebrews 11. You see these stories of faith from Abraham and Sarah, and then it's almost like the author takes a little time to make commentary about it. You know, he begins to kind of insert himself into the picture and explain. If you look at verse 13... He says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. 
And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All these died in faith. Abraham and Sarah, they died in faith. They didn't see the complete fulfillment of God's promises to them. They welcomed them from a distance. They got to go to the promised land and see the land that God was going to give them, but that was not fulfilled during their lifetime. They got to see Isaac be born, barely, I mean 100 years old, seriously. They didn't get to see the great nations, but it was enough. What made them have this incredible perspective of faith? I think one part of that answer is given to us in verse 11 when it says that Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. Abraham and Sarah had incredible faith in the one who's faithful. They didn't need to see Joshua lead the Israelites into the land and conquer it. They just had faith that God would do what he said he would do. God said that we're going to have this land as an inheritance. God is God. God will do what he has said he's going to do. Isn't that an amazing countercultural view to have in this life? We live in a day and an age where if you tell me something that I don't want to believe, I'm just not going to believe you. You can get all the evidence and all the facts that you want, and you can bring them and you can show them to me. I'll just go find someone that agrees with me, and we're going to shout you down until you stop talking. As Christians that live in America today, we know that the things that our culture believes and holds dear are different than what the Word of God tells us. And we have to make a choice. Am I going to walk by faith and believe what God is telling me? Or am I going to believe what the world is telling me? It's a question of faith. We've got to trust the Lord. We live in a world that requires instant gratification. I was thinking about this. I remember a day when I was a kid when if you wanted to get like a new comic book or something, you would fill out a piece of paper on the back of a magazine you would put it in the mail, and you just hoped that six months later somebody sent you something. These days, if I go on Amazon and I select the two to six window the next day, and it's there at 7.30, I'm upset. Can you imagine being Abraham and Sarah and living in the land as sojourners, as, as exiles, just saying, you know what, God's going to come through. It's not in our lifetime. He'll come through. It's fine. You know what, God's promised us a child, and we're going to have to walk through this and all these things, but God waited 25 years to come through on that one. Are we okay with waiting 25 years for God to show up in our lives today? Because I think sometimes we might say yes, but that's not the truth in our hearts, right? It's hard when we have to wait on God, but that's what faith requires of us. And Abraham and Sarah had faith in the one who is faithful. How much better would it be for us if we spent our time focusing on the completely faithful one and trying to get to know him better? Abraham and Sarah knew that God was faithful, and it led them to walk in faith. Not only that, but I think that their faith in God caused them, instead of trying to live for the things of this world and are these things happening right now that I'm wanting to happen, it caused them to live with an eternal perspective. I love how the author of Hebrews kind of throws this in. If you look at verse 10, you know, kind of context in verse 9, it says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. Verse 10, For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
The writer of Hebrews then expands in verse 13 saying, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I love that phrase on the earth because it's not the prepositional phrase I was expecting there. I was expecting that they were living as strangers and aliens in the promised land. But no, he says, actually, Abram was living for that day that was to come. He was a stranger and alien on the earth. This world was not his home. How often, believers, do we need to be reminded that this world is not our home? We're not living for today. We're living for the day that is to come when we will get to see Jesus face to face. My dad calls it the two-world view, that I live in this world, but I'm living for the next one the life to come with my Savior, when I'll be able to look into His eyes to worship Him and to praise Him. And so when I'm here today in this life, I'm not living and getting caught up in all the busyness and the messiness and the brokenness that is this world. I'm here on mission. I'm here to live for my King. I'm here to serve Him. I'm here to walk for Him. I'm here to tell people that Jesus Christ loves them, that there is hope if they'll put their faith in Jesus. I'm here today to do a mission that I might hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when I see my king face to face. When we live with a perspective of faith, it changes everything about how we approach this life. It means we trust God's word even when the world rails against us. It means that we move and take jobs for no other reason than God calling us to go. It means that when we come up against situations in this life, and let's be honest, there's a lot of these or we don't know what's next, and we don't know what's going to happen. It means that instead of just saying, okay, I guess we'll figure it out, or getting mad or upset, it means we hit our knees, and we begin to pray to God, and we begin to say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? How, how are you going to walk me through this? What is that next step that you want me to take? How can I bring glory to you through this? It means that we cast our cares and our fears on the Lord, that we rest in Him, that we follow Him faithfully. For Abraham and Sarah, following the one who is faithful meant living a life with a lot of ups and downs, with a lot of moments that required big faith. That's kind of how life is, isn't it? It'd be so great if we could just have to have faith once, and then you get through that, and it's like, cool, we did it, you know? If you mess up, there's like a, a repeat exam later, and you can just, you know... Life's not like that. Life is opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to trust God. When we don't know what's going on, when we don't know where that next thing is, when we don't understand why things are the way they are, to have faith, to walk with the Lord. I think it's really interesting how the writer of Hebrews kind of puts together his narrative about Abraham and Sarah, because what he does is he tells these stories about Abraham and Sarah and their life and all these moments where they had to have faith, and he builds up to it, and then he kind of gives us the eternal perspective that they were living with. They just believe that God was going to be faithful. And so they're living, not for today, but for that life that was to come. And then he, almost like as way of example, like he's a pastor and he's illustrating it, he gives another story. And that story, to me at least, is probably the one that would be like the highlight. It's Abraham and Sarah having to sacrifice their son Isaac. After all these years, after all this waiting, God gives Isaac... So one who their descendants are promised to come through. And then in the midst of all that, God says, okay, will you be faithful? Will you sacrifice Isaac? 
And I just imagine in my life what it must have been like for them to experience that. I know I can't quite get there, but I, I do know that when they got to that moment, they had already lived a lot of faith moments previously with their God. And they had already seen Him be faithful time and time and time again. And they knew that God was going to be able to carry out His promises. And so Abraham responds in faith. Take a look at verse 17. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. For it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham gets to this huge moment of faith, but he trusted in the one that was faithful. So much so that in his mind, it's like, all right, if this is what God wants me to do, I'll do it. God can raise him from the dead, and my descendants can still come from this. That's incredible faith. And Abraham and Sarah do receive Isaac back, just figuratively, not literally, because God spares his life. God's faithful. Before we get into application, I want to make one more observation from the text. I just found really fascinating. Take a look at verse 20. It says, by faith, this is after Abraham and Sarah have lived all their life. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. And by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his, his bones. A life lived by faith leaves a generational impact. It was just all these stories about, you know, growing up in my parents' household and being a PK, but just imagining Isaac, he's watching Abraham and Sarah walk through this stuff again and again and again. He's hearing their thought process, and he's watching them trust the Lord. He's watching them have faith. He's watching God as he moves in their lives, and he's seeing all these things, and it made an impact on his life. So much so that he's blessing his sons and he's doing it by faith, trusting that God is going to be able to provide. Jacob then blessed the sons of Joseph, believing that God was faithful. And Joseph, I love this, and we're not going to get too much into this because a couple weeks from now we're talking about Joseph. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's just too good not to say it. Joseph at the end of his life, and remember, guy who lived most of his life not in the promised land. His family's gathered around him. I just imagine him looking around to each one and he goes, you know what? One day God's taking us back to the promised land. Why? Because he's God and he's faithful. And on that day, when he takes you back into that promised land, I want you to gather up my bones and I want you to take them with you. I want to be buried in the land of promise. Isn't that awesome? When we share the faith journey that we're on with those that are around us, God uses it to make an impact in their lives. Shared many times before in these services about my grandfather, but I'm so thankful that he was willing to constantly share his faith journey with me. He usually hooked me into it with In-N-Out Burger. But we would sit there and he would just tell me again and again and again the stories of God's faithfulness. He'd say, Jamie... Had a long life, a lot of things, good days and bad days, but through it all, God was faithful. You follow him, he's going to be faithful to you too. 
I'll be honest with you, there are days that are really hard. Days when I'm not sure what the next step looks like. But on those days, I remember the faith journey of my grandfather, my grandmother, and my dad, and my mom. And it gives me the courage to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with that next step. Because I know that you are the one who is faithful. If you're here today and you're a believer, you're on a faith journey, your life, whether you like this or not, is a series of ups and downs. Good days that are so good that you just can't believe life could even get to be that good, and hard days that are so hard you can't remember the good days anymore. But if you've come to faith in Christ through all of those seasons, all of those days, you have God. And I want to remind you that He is always faithful. And I want to remind you to walk by faith, to trust and to seek the one who's faithful. I've got a few questions for you. These are just ones I've been asking my own heart during the week, and I thought it'd be good to just bring them. But I want to ask you two. Number one, are you willing to have faith in the one who's faithful? even if it means not seeing the answer in your lifetime? Are you willing to have faith that God is faithful, even if he's not going to answer in your timing and maybe not even in your life? Do you still trust him? My mom, my birth mother, prayed fervently for her dad to come to know Jesus. And God eventually did answer that prayer, but he answered it many years after she had passed away. She never got to see the fulfillment of that. But she knew that the one she was praying to was faithful. I think about in my own life, if you've been around or you know me, or frankly if you talk to me for like 10 minutes, you probably know I have a real heart and passion for Japan. I believe the Lord's put that passion and that heart for Japan in, in my life. With COVID stuff, I don't get to go to Japan anymore. I haven't been in a long time. I'm hoping to get to go back one day. I've just been feeling this burden for Japan, and I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know what that next step is, other than to say that I know I can pray. And I believe that the Lord is calling me to pray for Japan, that people in Japan would come to faith, that God would send workers, that he would make, make the harvest plentiful, that people would, would just come to know the Lord in this country that needs the Lord so bad. I don't really know if the, the burden that the Lord's put on my heart is just to be one of those people that's going to spend the rest of his life not getting to go back to Japan, but I'm just praying for it. Or if someday I'm going there or whatever that looks like. All I know is what God's calling me to be faithful to today. And if all God's going to give me is to get to be a prayer warrior for Japan for the rest of my life, isn't that kind of a great thing? I've got to be faithful to the one who's faithful. Are you okay with knowing and trusting that God's got you in the palm of his hand? Second question is this. Are you living with an eternal perspective? This world is not our home. It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness, the messiness, the brokenness of this life. When we do, it can be easy to forget that at the end of the day, we actually know who's on the throne. And we know who's in control. We've got to remember that Jesus is on the throne. We've got to remember the mission that he's given us. We've got to remember who he's made us to be. It doesn't matter what the world says about us. Our value is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. There is a day coming when we will see face to face with Jesus. Let's live for that day.
My last question for you is this. Who can you share your faith journey with? I don't know why. I don't know if it's just society or whatever. Sometimes it's difficult for us to be transparent with people about the things going on in our lives. It's difficult to share the hurts and and the pains that we walk through. But if we're not going to be open and share our lives with people, then they're not going to get to see what God's doing in our life. And I truly believe that when we're willing to share the, the impact that God's making on us, God will use that to make an impact on others' lives. I know for some of us, it's not even family because our family doesn't want to hear what we have to say. That's okay. Are you in a connect group, a small group, where you can tell people and be open and transparent about what the Lord's doing in your life? Maybe you have somebody at work that likes to talk to you, and you can just be honest about what the Lord's doing in your life. Maybe there's somebody you meet once a month for coffee you just haven't been that open with. Would you be transparent? Let them see your faith journey. I believe that the Lord will bless that as you're faithful to Him. Let's not keep what God's doing on the inside. Instead, let's live for Him with all we have, that others may see what God's doing in us and glorify and live for Him too. I wish I could tell you that life was going to be easy. It's not. Life's hard. But as we journey through, let's walk by faith. Let's have an eternal perspective. And let's trust the one who's faithful.